to another episode of She Speaks Stories. This is Portia. And this is Katie. And we are continuing with our theme of how God actually sends help uh, in time of need. Mm-hmm. And we have a beautiful guest with us today. She's a new friend to me. Katie, you told me that you had met Adria before. I do. I do. Not well, but I will tell you this. We know each other through this North Star Network in Northern Virginia that we've talked about on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. And um, so we were somewhat acquainted through that. But where I really got face-to-face with Adria was so special because I went down to North Carolina for this big uh, writers, speakers conference and I, we were staying at this huge embassy suites. I was all by myself and I walked into the breakfast room and listeners, you know how that can be a little awkward when you first arrive somewhere, you don't know anybody, you don't really know if you'll fit in or am I going to just sit here alone and, you know, be anxious. Mm-hmm. And I walk into the breakfast room and I spy Adria right away. And she has the biggest smile, the most friendly uh, visit mm-hmm. and just welcoming. And um, she's like, hi. I said, hi. <laughs> <laughs> and then she reminded me, hey, we know each other from North Star. And she introduced herself. and. From that moment on, I just felt so relaxed at the whole conference, just from um, her personality, her kindness, Mm. her joy, her welcoming spirit, her sparkly eyes. So listeners, you are going to love Adria. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Portia, why don't you read Adria's bio? Absolutely. Jump right in and hear her story. All right. Adria is a pastor's kid who grew up in Kentucky. She found her voice as a cheerleader. And as she tells people, that's when I started talking and haven't stopped since. She met her husband in college. They married and started their family. While living in Texas, her son Blake was born. He was born with health issues. For three years, they spent a lot of their time in hospitals being stretched and grown, but were delighted to provide him with a normal toddler life until he passed away. God surrounded her steps as they moved on one more time to Virginia, where he had a plan for Adria to share her story. Through Adria's Gideon-like story of accountant turned speaker, she agreed to step out of her comfort zone to follow God's calling. He has blessed her as she continues to share her challenge to find joy. Adria, I cannot wait to dive into your story and hear more. So if you would just start with telling a little bit about yourself being raised in Kentucky and then ending up in Texas, and then of course, tell us about Blake. All right. I'd love to. Well, my husband is a minister, as you heard there, and I'm a preacher's kid. So I've been in church really before I was born, like in the womb. (laughs) My mama had me when she was like 16 slash 17. That sounds young today, but back then it wasn't. Um, My parents are still alive. They're in Kentucky. We talk all the time. My dad has retired from being pastor, but he was a pastor all of his life. Um, And I said at one time, 
that I would never marry a pastor. <laughs> so when I started dating my husband, he was going to seminary. And my mom said, I thought you were going to marry a pastor. And I said, I'm not. I'm going to marry a minister of education. <laughs> That's different, you know. Of course. <laughs> so we have lived in Mississippi. We've lived in Texas. Then we moved here to Virginia. We've been here the longest of any place. We've been here going on 12 years. Um, and the road traveled from Kentucky, Mississippi, Texas, two places in Texas, actually Paris, Texas, and then Frisco, Texas near Dallas, uh, and then here to Virginia, has been a uh, well-traveled road. Um, when we moved, I haven't been back to Texas where our son is buried. Uh, I have not been back there since we left 12 years ago. But I have had friends that have gone to Blake's graveside. You know, he's not there, but they've gone there and taken pictures. And it just warms my heart. I mean, I've had people that I've never met that are friends on Facebook that have gone and taken pictures if they've been in the area, which is very heartwarming when other speaker friends do that for you that you really haven't even met, but then I did get to meet them eventually at the Proclaim <laughs> conference that you were talking about, Katie, which was Tammy Whitehurst. I had never met her before, but uh, we were friends on Facebook. We were doing a podcast together um, and we were really, really good, chummy, joy friends. Uh, and she was speaking in Paris. So she went by there and she spent an hour and a half looking for the gravesite and went and took some pictures and it's still mm -hmm. on my Facebook there. And I've had a lot of people comment on that um, a blessing of a friend that you haven't ever met. But our journey with Blake was a challenge. We didn't know that he was going to have any medical problems. So when he was born, I had an emergency C-section. And our family lived in Kentucky still, and we were in Texas. So I had no family there. Our daughter was five years old. And so she was staying with different people from church. And so when our son was born, they had to care fly him to Dallas, which is two hours away. So my husband went to be with Blake, our son. And so I was left at the hospital by myself. Um, but my husband had asked a lady at our church, uh, Glenna Ford, which I'm getting ready to do a talk about her and also have it on my podcast called Look Out for Joy. But she was a person that was there for me when I needed the help. My husband said, I need you to help us until her parents get here. And so she stood by my side. She was there when I needed her, when I didn't even know that I needed her. Mm -hmm. She was there. She passed away last year, mm -hmm. but she was there for me from the beginning until the end. She stood by my side when my son passed away in my arms. Mm -hmm. And so she is a special friend to me. And I, I'm working on this talk about being a friend, a mentor to others have you had someone that has been that person that stood by you? Mm -hmm. And are you a person that will stand by someone when they're going through something difficult? So I am going to kind of toss it back to y'all and see what kind of questions you might have. 
based on that. And I can go all kinds of directions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really just curious. So Blake was born with medical problems, but he lived till he was three. Yes, he was born with spina bifida, which I don't know if you know what that is, but your spine is open and his was open about, I don't know, I think it was like four or five inches. So they had to rush him to Dallas and close that and do surgery. But along with that, we discovered um, after 100 days in the hospital with him in the NICU that he could not breathe on his own. So he was on a ventilator all of his life. He could not swallow, breathe, or control his body temperature or move from his waist down, but he could move from his waist up. So we had 24-hour home health care in our home for three years. Okay. Okay. I just was trying to picture those those young years that you spent with them, Adria, and, and what that all involved. Um, Wow. Wow. Yes. Well, the, the challenge was we had to learn how to take care of him because they said, there are going to be times that you do not have a home health care nurse and you're going to have to take care of him on your own. So you can imagine trying to learn how to change a trach Mm-hmm. that you learn how to control a ventilator. So basically we were told that we had an ICU in our home 24 hours a day. So mm-hmm. therefore we did have moments where he would turn blue, where he wasn't getting the proper air. And we would have to what they call bag, which is provide air to his airway with a, a manual pump. And we've had to do that multiple times. So there were touch and go moments. And as a result of that, living in that for three years after he did pass away, I experienced panic attacks and Mm. post-traumatic stress disorder. And um, we have had my counselor that I went to five years after Blake passed away, talked about how that I basically was kind of in a war zone for three years because we didn't know what was going to happen from one moment to the next. Mm-hmm. That that literally gives me goosebumps because when you were describing that, my inner thoughts were I would be in panic mode. Mm-hmm. I was in panic mode just with it, all my children when they were so new and fragile. And I was like, what do I know about really keeping a little baby alive? I can't even imagine the added pressure when I am not any kind of a nurse or I don't have any, did you have any, you were an accountant, right? So, right. <laughs> and then they're trying to tell you how to incubate or uh, intubate. Yes. Intubate. Mm-hmm. Intubate. Oh, the pressure. Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. So we had to train before we could leave the hospital. We had to do the training. We had to train, change the trach out ourselves. We had to be able to know how to do all of that. We had to know how to bag our own child yeah. uh, out of a blue spell and how to revive him if we needed to. Uh, so yes, it was a, a very big responsibility to have to carry. And we had people in our home. We had a minimum of two nurses a day in our home. That doesn't even count respiratory therapy, physical therapy, equipment, medical supplies, all of that. And so we basically had a revolving door at our home in and people in and out. And we have said, basically, the world came into our home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You um, 
you you mentioned you're like okay I can go a lot of different ways with this story I can talk however you want but six years ago the Lord really laid it on your heart to tell this story can you tell us about that how did you get to a point where like now you talk about Blake and you talk about that because that's not just Blake you have a daughter you have a whole family the world that was in your house what did that look like for you to Mm -hmm. come to be able to tell your story Well, when Blake was alive and afterwards, I began to journal because I wanted to write down all the good and the bad stuff that was happening. I wanted a special place to put that so that he could look at that. People could look at that down the road. And so I wrote in the moment and I've had people that have said, when you write in the moment, when you're going through something, it is a lot richer it is meatier. It is more descriptive. And so um, six years ago, I found out that a lady at our church is an editor at her business. And so I said, hey, I've got some material that I've written. I have done some small devotional speaking at mothers of preschoolers groups over the years. And I was a mentor mom in, in MOPS. And I said, you know, I have quite a bit of writing and I was wondering if maybe you would look at this and see if you think that maybe there might be some material for a book. So she looked at it and contacted me very quickly and said, yes, (laughs) there is some material here because you wrote it in the moment. So we started meeting every Saturday for three and four hours at a time at Panera Bread and we would hash through this for several months. And she would ask me questions about a story, maybe a particular situation that we were in. And she wanted like, what was the smell like? What Mm. was the season? And get very descriptive so that we can make people feel like they're right there with us. And so we did that. We began and we decided that we probably need to go to some writers conferences. So I I started going to the Blue Ridge Mountain Christian Writers Conference in um, Blue. It's uh, actually Black Mountain, North Carolina. It's usually in May every year. And I highly encourage you, if you have ever thought about writing, you need to attend some writers conferences because you will learn how to be a better writer, but also they usually offer opportunities for you to speak with publishers and agents. And so I began to interview with some publishers and agents and every year I would get a little bit more information. I think you ought to try this and do this. And so eventually we discovered and decided that my book would look like a devotional because I like to write short, tight, Um, I don't like long stuff. Um, And so we did that. And and I also was a contributing author in about five other books uh, and was able to share some devotions in those books. And so I was beginning to get a little bit disheartened because I really wasn't getting a publisher. And I was, and I thought, I'm just going to continue being a contributing author and just let my book idea go because it had been two or three years. So I let it go. And you know how that is whenever you let something go, Mm -hmm. hmm, God (laughs) says, okay, now I get to take the rain. (laughs) And so he did. So I had said in December, and I remember the lady who's my editor, she said, I remember you telling me this. You said, I'm going to give it a rest. And this was in November, December. In January, no joke, I get an email out of the blue from a publisher that I had spoke with and said, we want to publish your book. 
Wow. And so I'm sitting on my front porch and I'm like, okay, God, I guess we're doing the book. <laughs> and so that's how it happened. And wow. I was able to share a couple of little things about Blake in there. The book is not about Blake. It's called mm-hmm. the Joy Box Journal. It yeah. is about everyday situations that you may go through, that I've gone through. And I ask you questions in there. There's a place to journal. I ask you questions to make you stop and think. I'm going through something really stinky right now, but how can I find joy in this? Or how will I be able to find joy in this? Wow. I love how the Lord led you to do the work and to get it together. And then once you had done the work and then felt that angst of when is it going to happen? And then he was able to bring the solution in the door that was perfect and at the right time. But I just think it's important to point out that you did the work. Because yes. sometimes we just want God to just do it. And he's like, oh, no, sweetheart, you you have to do some things. And then I will do what only mm-hmm. I'm able to do. That's so oh, true. And that's a really great point to bring out. Because I often say it, but I hadn't really thought about it from that angle. But I say, I say to people, when I thought I had my book ready, there were actually more stories to be written. Wow. And so you're saying the same thing, that we did the hard work. But I love how you said that that you, you got to do the work. Mm-hmm. And then when God says, okay, you're ready now, mm-hmm. it's time. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of like that right now in my speaking career. I've been speaking for three years now since my book came out because it's part of being an author. And I've, you know, I've had several speaking events, like about 40. I have a podcast, but you know, I've, I've kind of been in a little slump. I've had a couple of speaking events recently, but I've been like, okay, God, I want some more. But he was like, no, you're not ready. You're not ready for the bigger stages yet. And so I'm going through some intensive training right now. I've made an investment to learn how to be a better speaker. And then when God says you're ready, then he's going to open up those doors. And actually yesterday, I had a new door that opened up that I never thought of. So you it, I was thanking God yesterday. I said, okay, God, here we are. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to keep moving. If you have, if you keep opening the doors then I'm going to keep moving through them, if you close them, then I wait. I love that, Adria. And isn't it a matter of him really trying to teach us to trust him more? Yes. Uh, trust him with the successes, trust him with the waiting periods, trust him with the confusion, trust him with the hard work. I mean, you literally, when, when I hear you say you, you, I'm giving it a rest. Really what you're saying is I trust you, Lord. I don't know. I've done what I can do. And here it is. If you do nothing with it, fine. If you do something with it, fine. It's yours. And what peace that can bring when we get the perspective of Lord, you are sovereign. You've got good works for me to walk in. And I'm going to trust that you know what they are and you know what they aren't. And you're going to close doors, open doors. I'll do the work. I'll prepare. I'll try to understand uh, the way you want me to walk as best I can. But at the end of the day, I'm going to trust you. So, so you trusted him to write the book. Oh, one other quick comment. God sends people to help us along the way. I love that you just so happen to have an editor friend 
in your church. Yes. <laughs> I don't believe in coincidences. No. I believe God throws people together for such a time as this. Yes. That editor spent lots of time helping you shape, mold, think, dream. I love things like writers conferences where you go and people that are further down the road in whatever you feel like God's calling you to do are there to help you, to help you hone your skills. Think about this, that, blah, blah, blah. And I love that you actually got a publisher to just call you and say, boom. Yes. Oh, that's such an encouraging story. But here's what we would love to hear a little bit about. You wrote the book that started the journey and now you're out speaking and everything. Could you without giving the whole book away or any of your great uh, talks. But could you share just a couple of stories of how God has really led you um, in the past through through your book and the writing or through, through speaking engagements or whatever, how God has really helped you? Yes. So one other addition to Blake's story and, and Katie, our daughter's story, is that we decided about a year or so after Blake passed that we wanted to adopt a child. And so we actually did foster care and uh, we did foster to adopt. And so um, we uh, were able to foster two children and one of them um, we ended up getting, he was four months old. We finalized the adoption when he was two and he is now 16 going on 17. Yeah. And uh, he is what we call all American. His mom was Hispanic and we don't know what his dad was, but he's got the most beautiful complexion, just like Portia. He is beautiful. And um, anyway, so he has brought a lot of joy into our lives. And so uh, the reason why I tell you all that story is because I applied And I'm trying to think outside the box. You know, everything I do is thinking outside the box, it seems like, because, hey, that's the name of my book, the Joy Box Journal, and everything is about boxes with me. So uh, I was looking at some speaking opportunities, and I saw this opportunity in Williamsburg, Virginia, which is just a couple hours up the road, and I love Williamsburg. And it is a uh, national association of social workers conference that's coming up next year. And I decided they were taking speakers and I decided to uh, apply. And um, I've been working on a new main uh, speaking topic called Embracing Joy that I actually gave a couple weeks ago at a retreat. I ended up speaking five times in one weekend and that's a lot. But their theme was Embracing Joy. It has now become part of who I am, because, you know, when you speak that much and you work on a conference like that, it begins to become part of who you are. And so now, whenever, because I am going through the speaker training, my new speaker uh, pitch is I help middle-aged women embrace joy so that they can live a more fulfilled life. So what I do is I encourage people in those workshops to embrace joy, even though you might be going through something difficult. I teach them how to journal some easy questions, but then some more deep questions that make your soul kind of dig a little bit what's in there. And then 
I work in some funny stuff and some thought-provoking things. And then sometimes some tearful things about the, what we went through with our son. So I applied for this because the speaking position, because I said, hmm, we've been in the foster care system. We've had social workers. I know, and I've seen what they go through. I've seen the stress in their lives. They need some joy. <laughs> they need some techniques when they're going into these homes and experiencing difficult stuff that some of us have never imagined. Yes. They need some encouragement. Mm -hmm. And so I applied and I got accepted yesterday. And that's why I was telling y'all, okay, God, here we go. We're going into a new avenue that I've never been into before, a new world. And you just don't know how God is going to work and open that up because I have wanted to jump more into the secular world and speak to them about the joy that we have. Now, I'm going to offer it as, you know, as, as, without as much li Christian lingo as I can. I will work it in as I can. But just like my husband said, if they come back and start asking you questions about your faith, then that's your open door. <laughs> and so, you know, I can do that. I can go outside of the Christian world because that's where I speak most of the time. And so I'm trying to tip my toes into the secular world. And I have a little bit, it's a little scary, but actually this joy concept and when you're going through something difficult, how you can find joy really resonates with all audiences. Of course it does. Oh my goodness. And I'm telling you what, that is a message the world needs to hear loud and clear right now. Yeah. How can you really find joy when there's so much darkness, there's so much pain out there, there's so much evil. I mean, I, I read a stat the other day that the suicide rate in our country is skyrocketing yes. and, and depression medications and anxiety medications are off the charts. And, um, a message of how you find joy. And what I love that I heard you say, Adria, is you actually speak about techniques of how they can find joy. That it's not just a message, hey, come listen to me. I'll give you three little words that you can ponder. No, I will teach you techniques yes. where you go back and can apply um, these to find joy that's i like that yeah we actually do them at the workshop i give them a few examples and we actually do them and then they can you know continue that and then i actually worked in something that we did at proclaim i don't know if you remember this but um the day the last day when they asked us we were sitting around little tables in the big room there and um they asked us uh what goals do you have for your next steps. And they wanted you to reach out to someone and have them text you in a month or whatever to see how you're doing. And wow. so I actually did that at the most recent event. I asked the ladies, you know, to do these little techniques. And then I said, I want you to pick somebody at the table that you can reach out to them in two weeks and say, how you doing on mm -hmm. your journaling? How you doing on finding joy and embracing joy? And so I kind of stole their little idea. <laughs> 
and yeah and it was it's best practices it's using best practices there Andrea and it's just one of the things that you mentioned is you use your story to help with other people like where joy has come in for you and so um what how have you seen your story minister to other people how have you seen God going you know what remember this really really painful thing I want you to use this now Oh yeah. That's what I was getting ready to share next. It was because mm-hmm. I remember that Katie said, share some examples there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so this one happened with a neighbor of mine the day before my book was released. So I did my book signing at Chick-fil-A. It was so exciting and fun. We had a huge crowd. I sold 200 books and just a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So uh, in prepping for that, I found out, my book came in out in July. I found out in May that a neighbor five houses down, that their daughter was diagnosed with cancer. She's Mm -hmm. eight years old. And, you know, I would watch as I would drive by there because they had hospice that came in and things like that. And I would just kind of watch and pray. And I really didn't know the family. I actually stopped by there one time, met the dad on the front porch, went back another time and took them some groceries because they had just come home from the hospital, but honestly had never been in their house, didn't know them. The dad lived there with his two daughters and um, his him and his wife were, were divorced. So one day before my book, the day before my book, uh, and I'm supposed to be all bubbly and full of joy. And I noticed there were a bunch of cars at this house. Mm-hmm. I was getting ready to go to... Um, get some produce or something. And I drove by that house and I said, there's something going on there. So I turned around and I noticed there was someone going in the house. There were several people going in the house and I said, Hey, is everything okay? Well, one was dressed as a nurse and she said, well, it's tough. I can't say any more than that. Hmm. I got out of my car. I felt like God prompted me to turn around and get out of the car and go in and find out what what you can do, how you can help this family because you had experienced the death of a child. I went to the door. The girlfriend of this dad came to the door and I said, hey, I'm the neighbor five houses up. I brought y'all groceries a couple of weeks ago. Oh yeah, come on in, come on in, come on in. There are about 12 people standing around a bed with this little girl and her sister and they had their hands in a concrete mold that they were making an impression of Mm. because this girl was probably going to pass that day. I walked in to a home where I knew no one. I met the dad, like I said, for a couple minutes before. I'm standing by and around the bedside of an eight-year-old about to die. And I'm thinking, what in the world am I doing here? I know what this feels like, but I don't know these people. It was so odd. It was so odd for me. But I felt like I was supposed to be there. So I just stood there and I prayed. And I said, God, I know what they're feeling. I know. And, and I did not know who the mom was. So I let a person walked by and I said, could you tell me who the mom is? And they said, yeah, she's uh, kneeling right there by the bed. 
So I watched that mom. And at one point, the mom went to the kitchen. So I followed in and walked past her. And she they were trying to decide whether to go home and take a shower or not, if they had time or not to do that. And so the mom walked back through past me. And I said, hey, I said, I know you don't know me. But I said, I'm a neighbor five houses up the road. And I said, I know what you're going through. I was there 19 years ago when my son passed away. He was three. And I just want you to know, here's my card. If you need to talk or anything, I'm available. And I could see a big breath go over her body and almost a relaxation. She said, can I give you a hug? And I said, yes. So I gave her a hug. She said, thank you so much. I left out of there. Well, actually, I stayed a few more minutes and I asked if I could go pray. The girlfriend asked the dad and the dad said, no, not at this time. So I stood back in the corner and I prayed and stood there as long as I felt like that I was comfortable doing that. And I finally scooted out when some other people were leaving. And I went about my day. And the next day, I'm supposed to be celebrating my book coming out, but this little girl is dying. Mm. And I'm like, wow, I've got to find joy. I've got to find joy. So I thought, God, did I do the right thing? I don't know what I did there. So two weeks later, I get a Facebook message from this mother. And I still have it. And she said, on the worst day of my life, the most beautiful person walked into my life and showed me that she cared with her eyes. And so I knew, I knew that God had placed me there for that reason. And so that is how God has worked through my book. I have walked with several other families that have lost children. It is not easy. It is so difficult. I mean, you think it's hard to lose your child. It is hard to walk with people that are losing their children or their loved ones. And so I tell you that because that is probably one of my favorite stories that has happened through all of this, to be able to reach out. And just even recently on Facebook, she had posted about this is an anniversary. And I just said, I remember that. And she even put on there, I remember that day so well because of you. Wow. And so it is really one of my favorite stories to share. I love that that's a difficult story. Listeners, you can't see Adria's face right now, but I, I think you can hear the emotion in her voice that that wasn't an easy thing, but that God uses hard things as handles of healing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Of, mm-hmm. He used you in that moment to put something in a sister, one of his daughter's lives that she looks back to, and it is a source of healing that brings joy. Yes. Can I share one of the things? Yeah. Can I share one of the things? Of course, you know, I wanted to give her one of my books, but you know, I'm thinking, how do you give a mother that's losing a child a joy book? You know, you Mm -hmm. don't. So I had done, I went to the next day and did my book signing and I have a friend at church that reached out to me. I really didn't know her that well, but she reached out to me. She's the next day after my book signing, of course, I'm on a high and all that. 
And she says, hey, I want to get two books. Could you bring them over to me? And I said, sure, I'll run them over to your house. And she said, one of them's for me and one's for a friend. I said, okay. And she said, this friend has lost a child. And I said, they wouldn't happen to live on Reardon Lane, would they? And she was like, yeah. And she said, do you know her? I said, yeah. So I told her what happened. Wow. And she said, I used to work with her for 12 years. I was her manager. And she said, how much more appropriate that book coming from her than from me. Mm-hmm. And so after that, after all of this stuff, she even, this mom made this connection and she said, oh my goodness, you're the one who wrote the joy book. And so you see how God worked all of that out without, I mean, we were all crying. We had goosebumps because we were like, we could not have made this happen the way it was supposed to. It was all God. And I mean, I get goosebumps. It is like one of my favorite stories of all that's happened. And it's definitely one of those those moments that keeps giving. And every year it seems like I'm still touched by it. Wow. I love that. I love that, Adria. Again, God wants to send healing to people. Well, how does he actually practically do it? Through a lot of times through other people. Could he reach down and just heal a broken heart? Like snap his fingers and go, boom, you're not sad anymore. Your your broken heart is healed. Could he do that? Well, he's God. He could do whatever he wants, but does he like act like that a lot? No, it's a process, but I believe how he sends healing is oftentimes through other people, other people's hugs, words, uh, acts of service. And that, wow, what a story of God sending healing. First and foremost, not first and foremost, I shouldn't use that phrase, but he sent you healing, in my opinion. Yes. Through uh, giving it purpose for your pain, if you will, and an outlet to uh, touch other people's lives um, with some things he showed you, right? I mean, would you say that your own healing of your own broken heart, not not that it's ever completely healed, you'll still always have that sore spot of grief, I believe. Yes. But yes. Then, and then even a little bit of healing in the neighbor's Heart, if you had one thing to leave our listeners with, Adria, um, about how God sends healing, it, what would you say? Um, when I went to that Proclaim conference, uh, I know I keep referring to that, but that was just an excellent, <laughs> it was a really great retreat event. And hopefully, no, it was She Speaks. Sorry, it was She Speaks. I'm getting too confused. But anyway, the She Speaks, it was so good. Um, I met a lady there that had lost a husband and he was five years out and we met one night. We actually ended up spending the evening together and went out to eat and um, ran an errand to CVS or whatever. So we were talking and she said, this year for me, I, I said, this year for me is 20 years since our son passed away, 20 years. And um, she said, what does it look like 20 years after a loved one 
a child, a husband, has passed away. What does your life look like? So I said, well, first of all, can I write that question down? Because that's an excellent question. <laughs> and then I said, but then I'll try to answer it for you. Because she wanted to know, what's her life going to feel like in 20 years? And I thought, wow, I don't think anybody's, I've never really pondered that because now I'm living it. And I said, honestly, for some reason, this year has been an emotional year about reflecting on Blake's life. And I don't know why, but I said, there are moments that I don't think about Blake that much. And she said, I am so glad that you said that because there are moments that I feel bad that I haven't thought about my husband on a particular day, you know, like just randomly thinking of him. And I said, I think it's okay. I think it's part of the healing. My counselor had even said, it's okay if you go a day and don't think about that person. It is actually probably healthier for you to go through the day and, and be able to just live. And so I said, you know, I think that 20 years later, you still miss that person. You still have memories. You still have um, things that will trigger uh, moments like fragrances or seasons or getting Christmas ornaments out. Those will trigger things. But I said, all in all, I believe that as we journey through life, we can help other people when they're going through something difficult, if we will just stop and be present with them, just like I'm doing with you right now. And I said, as you've noticed, I mean, we talked for three hours and I said, I don't have a clue who's been around us this whole three hours because I've been totally focused on what we're talking about. And so I really do believe that if you will be present with whoever you're with at that moment and that you will begin to maybe unravel some things that's going on in their life and find out how you can help them and encourage them. I honestly think that's the best gift that you can give for the day. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, listeners, there is so much that Adria has said to us in our time together that has just been amazingly beautiful that has been even healing to my own heart and I can talk to you about that offline Adria but just I marvel at what God does through individuals through individual stories we say often that stories change lives and stories matter and so we cannot thank you enough for sharing with us your journey for sharing with us about Blake for sharing with us about your family and just your willingness to share your willingness to say, this is, this is how the Lord has used one of the worst days of my life. And he is continuing to use it. And, um, and as new circumstances of life, because life is life, right? And um, God is doing amazing things. And listeners, God brings healing through hard hardships and wants to bring healing to your heart. And one thing that we pray almost every time we before, before we record an episode is, Lord, we pray for the listener who is going to hear this today, who needs to hear this message 
today. So we have prayed for you and we are believing that healing is coming to your heart. Now, it could very well be that God brings healing in a supernatural way in your physical body, but it also could be that God is bringing healing to your soul because your soul has been in a place of brokenness and God wants to heal because he is a good and faithful God and wants us to be completely healed and whole. So be encouraged. We love you. We're going to be with you again soon. Thank you for listening to us today. We love you so much. Listeners and Adria, thank you. Thank you so much.